This program is a paid commercial announcement and in no way represents the views of WPHT or its management. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another edition of Recovery Radio. We're here each and every Saturday talking about the disease of addiction. My name is Steve Martorano. I hope you'll spend some time with us today. As you know, this is a big, big story that's not going away. Lots of people struggling with substance abuse now. This is probably the worst moment in anybody's memory with regard to dealing with substance abuse in our society. Recovery Radio is sponsored by Retreat, Premier Addiction Treatment Centers. We will have more about them straight ahead. One of the things we we are dedicated to on the program is not losing sight of the fact that in spite of the size of the substance abuse problem, in, in, in spite of its intractability uh, sometimes, lots of people do get sober. Lots of people, millions in fact, are currently living in long-term sobriety. So we go to special lengths to remind people of that, even though we very often have to share with them the grim news of the disease of addiction. To that end, we welcome Lauren Ackerman with us. Uh, Lauren is a, a young a young person who has, it's safe to say, been waging her own personal war on substance abuse, um, even though, as I said, she's, uh, she's only 22 years old. Uh, Lauren joins us to talk about her struggles with substance abuse, her... Uh, her uh, trips in and out of treatment facilities, and now her current sobriety and what she sees for her future. And there's a lot of it when you're only 22 years of age. So we welcome Lauren Ackerman to the program. Lauren, thanks so much for joining us on Recovery Radio. Uh, yes, Steve. Thank you for having me. So tell, tell us who you are and where you're from. Where did you grow up? Uh, I grew up in Northeast in Mayfair, Philadelphia. Um, and now I'm in Bucks County, Newtown area. Mm-hmm. And you, um, tell me about your family, siblings and all that. Um, family, uh, my mom, me and my mom have always had a uh, great relationship. I've always been really close with my mom. My mom has always been real supportive of me, very loving, very caring. Um, you know, my mom's always been like my best friend. Um, unfortunately, my father... Um, my father and uh, my grandmother, both of uh, both of them, I don't see. Um, I was abused by both of them. Um, they both sexually abused me, so which is like a big part of the reason why I started using in the first place. So, uh, yeah, uh, my childhood, you know, that was most of my childhood, four years old through fourteen years old. But um, I am lucky I had the mom that I did. That's an extraordinary story. Uh, so, did you have? Do you have uh, brothers and sisters, and were they abused by any family members? Uh, no, I'm, I'm an only child. Yeah, yeah. When did the abuse start? Uh, as early as I can remember, three, four years old. Were were, were these uh, grandparents your your mom's mother and, f- and father, or your dad's mother? Uh, it was my uh, dad's mother. Tra- trauma is an enormous factor in substance abuse, as I know you know. I don't. I, sometimes I wonder whether the general public understands that it's not just people making bad decisions who wind up addicted, but people who are abusing substances in order to, you know, soothe the pain. And I can't think of anything worse than what you've just described. So it starts at a very early age, and did did you did you 
tell anybody about this, or was it impossible to do that? I did. Um, well, my mom and dad were never married. Uh, they separated when I was four or five, so my dad went to live with his mom as soon as they got separated. So when I would be at their house, that's when the abuse would go on. Um, so basically, I uh, I would go to their house, my dad and my grandmother's house, and then I'd switch to their house to my mom. They'd have me every other weekend, and then I'd be with my mom. And then um, one one uh, night, I ended up having a friend over, and um, my grandmother ended up touching him. Uh, he said something to me about it, and he was scared. So uh, my dad dropped me off at my mom's that night. So I went home to my mom. I told her what happened, and then my mom said, you know, has anything been, uh, did they do anything to you? Mm -hmm. And I was nine or ten, and I told my mom everything that was going on and everything that they did to me. So that was the night that I told them about it. Mm -hmm. um, and a bunch of detectives and cops came over the next morning and questioned me, and yeah. Did you, what were the repercussions for your grandparents? Um, unfortunately, um, now it's harder to prove uh, when you're molested versus when you're raped, and they molested me, so... They didn't get, you know, um, justice wasn't served, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. So my dad and my grandmother, nothing happened to them. They had to go to seven therapy sessions. Mm -hmm. And after about a year and a half, and I was young, you know, so I didn't know that what they were doing was to hurt me, you know. Mm -hmm. I, I thought, you know, that's my dad, that's my grandmother. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to see them. Mm -hmm. And um, so after about a year and a half, the judge said to my mom, that, you know, I'm giving them the right to uh, custody again. And, of course, my mom went crazy. The judge said, if you don't, you know, if they, if you don't give that her over for custody, then you're going to go to jail. So it's either my mom's in jail, mm. and uh, she doesn't know what's going on, you know, or she's here and she knows if I'm being abused again or not. So, um... So you're, you're, back, with, you're back with your, your, your grandparents, and, and the abuse started again, right? Yeah, it started as soon as my uh, dad and grandmother uh, had the right to have me at their house, like, overnight again. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, the abuse continued immediately, and uh, then it stopped at 14. Uh, basically, I knew justice wasn't going to be served, so I was at my therapist appointment, and I told my therapist, I said, look, I want to call my dad. And I want to tell him, you know, I just can't do it anymore. So I picked up the phone, I called my dad, and I said, look, dad, like... You know, you obviously grew up with this and think it's normal, but it's not, and I can't live like this. So, you know, I don't want you or your mother coming near me ever again. You know, please don't talk to me ever again. And it's basically what I said to him, you know, he grew up around it, thinking it's normal, and, you know, mm -hmm. maybe that's why he mm -hmm. thought, it, you know, they, they're so sick, they thought it was normal. And mm -hmm. So where did you go at 14, back with your mom and, and, and the abuse stuff? Yeah, I stayed with my mom. So... Uh, in the, in that in that context, uh, certainly any you know lots of fourteen year olds, young people begin experimenting or recreationally getting involved with with uh, with marijuana or yeah. alcohol. And in your case, it was probably a bit more than recreational. But when did you, you remember when you first started experimenting with stuff? Uh, yeah, it's when I was fourteen. Um, as soon as I uh, stopped seeing them, I started using. 
Um, my first time ever getting high was, uh, it was marijuana and K2. And, uh, I knew I had a problem right away. Cause you know, right after that, I mean, I was using almost like right away daily. So did, did you, um, when you say you knew right away that you almost had a problem, describe if you can, how you know, we can, we can appreciate how you must've felt as a victim of uh, sexual abuse and then it stops and you you discover substances how, it made you feel better did you feel better when you were high um it made me feel like i wasn't here so you know i got so out of it to the point where you know it i felt like i wasn't even here and i couldn't think of anything you know there was no negative thoughts mm-hmm, mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. You know, I just numb myself out as much as possible. Right, right. And when you say you weren't here, the place that you were before you were abusing substances was an awful place, right? Right. Yeah. Uh, so how quickly does, uh, you say it occurs to you immediately, you got a problem because you're using it every day. Uh, you have any problem as a 14-year-old getting a hold of stuff like uh, K2 or, or marijuana? Um, no, I mean, I, I progressed like, pretty quickly. I mean, I didn't have a... I didn't have a problem getting a hold of anything. I mean, it went from, like, uh, K2 and 14, 15 alcohol vendors. Yeah, you're, you're, dist- uh, you're, you're distorting a little bit for me because uh, I guess you're too close to the phone or something. But anyway, so you okay. so, so you, you have no problem with 14. How, how, quickly does it, um, how quickly does it accelerate into other stuff? Well, uh, um, when I turned 15, I started drinking and using benzos. I mixed alcohol and benzos. And and, uh, and then yeah. um, I kept doing that from 15 to 17. And then 18 was when I first tried heroin. Who introduced you to heroin? Uh, actually, it's crazy. No one introduced me to heroin. I was actually um, in a recovery house, right? And um, I was on job search. And job search is when you have to go out, look for jobs. Uh-huh. Um, you know, you don't fill out applications. Now... There were two bags on the ground, two bags, two heroin bags, and they were full. And I had already been in, in quite a few rehabs at this point, and, you know, well, well, everyone well, let's was back, let's, about... Yeah, let's back up a second here. Now, you're talking about you're 17, and uh, you'd been in rehab. What was the first time you got to rehab, and, uh, and what were the circumstances? How old were you the first time you went to rehab? Uh, I was I was 18. You, you, were, you were 18. Was it court order, or, or did you get there because you knew? No, no. Um, I was in high school, and the teachers brought my mom in, and they said that they wanted me to go, and everyone, basically, it was like a little intervention at school. They said, you know, I didn't have to graduate, so t- they made me graduate like two weeks early, and they sent me to rehab instead of finishing school. You were you were that clearly in crisis that the, the system, the school system, anyway, and your friend said she she needs help, and that's the first time you yeah. get to rehab, and you're 18 years old. Yeah. All right. We're going to take a break now with our guest Laura Ackerman and her harrowing story of uh, sexual abuse by relatives, and then her struggles with substance abuse as a result of that. And when we come back, um, Lauren will share with you the staggering number of times that even at 22, she has been in and out of treatment facilities to get a handle on this disease. Welcome back to Recovery Radio. Our guest on the telephone is uh, Laura Ackerman. Laura is 22 years old, 
and in that short period of time has struggled with all kinds of things, um, not least of which was sexual abuse by family members that clearly had a profound impact on her substance abuse problems that followed. And Lauren has graciously come to share that story with us uh, because at the end of the day, it's a hopeful one. Um, So, Lauren, you told us just before we went to the break, at the urging of school officials and, and friends, when you're 18 years of age, you get you get to a uh, treatment facility. The result of which is you're introduced to heroin, which is which is a horrible consequence. So, yes. pe- so people know right here at the outset. How many times uh, in your life have you been in and out of treatment? Uh, 26 times. When you, when you tell people that who who might not know about the disease of addiction, uh, what's their reaction to hearing that? Um, people look at me like I have three heads. People look at me like they can't believe it. You know, like there's a lot of different reactions. Mm -hmm. Um, a lot of those places, you know, I didn't complete all of them. I ran out of a lot of them. I've got kicked out of a lot of them, but yeah. So, well, uh, so, so again, it's important to point out that it's not just a case of treatment not working. It's that you were, right. you weren't working the program. Me not being ready to. Yeah, yeah. Um, how long were you in that first? And was it a residential tri- uh, trip the first time into rehab? Um, the first time I was in the adolescent, um, the adolescent part of the rehab. Today, incorporated in Newtown. Yeah, you you know, okay. We don't we don't want to necessarily have to give the names of these institutions. We don't want people to, again think that. It was a failure with any of them. So, so right. how how long did that last before you were out of there? Um, I'm not sure how long how long I was even there for. I don't know. It's been so many. I don't know. Yeah. All right. So you're out. You're in and out of the first one, and uh, now, now you're using uh, heroin. Did you immediately begin using it as an IV user, or did you how did how did you ingest it? Um, I snorted it um, probably like three or four times, and then. Um, I was with my friend and his older brother, and uh, he said to me that it felt like, you know, 90 times greater shooting. And I I was the biggest, you know, wuss when it came to needles. And, uh, you know, I had such a phobia. And so, yeah, after like three or four times snorting it, he uh, shot me up. And I knew knew from right there it was all done. Like, it was over the second that that happened. What was over? I knew that's what... When you say it was over, you you mean in the sense that you found something that you knew you were going to use a lot of? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Um, what happens to you during? I mean, that's four years ago. How how long a period of time? I know you're you're sober now four months, um, but mm-hmm. you you had longer stretches of sobriety, correct? Um, the longest I've been sober five and a half months, close to six months. I've never had. Longer than that. And tell us a little bit about the. So, were you detoxed every time you you went to one of these facilities, or or no? Um, no, not every time. Did you ever first few rehabs? I um, the first couple rehabs, I wasn't in for heroin. What What were you there for? Um, benzos. Mm-hmm. How did you get to those? Were, were, were this was this your mom getting you to them, or you got got to, to rehab? What kept driving you back to uh, to treatment? 
Um, well, at first I did want to, you know, get help and I wanted to, you know, I just wanted to be clean, but then eventually I, you know, and it sounds, it may sound crazy to some people, but I got really comfortable in treatment and I didn't feel comfortable in the outside world. I was in treatment so often to the point where it's just, I don't know, it felt like a real safe space to me. During during your trips in and out of rehab, did your history of sexual abuse come up? Uh, what was that? Did, did, when you were being treated uh, in these various facilities, did your history of sexual abuse come up? Uh, yeah, I mean, some places would treat for uh, treat for that, depending on where I would be, and it would. I mean, it comes up when I get clean, yeah. And and what what were your thoughts about that? Were you and this is going to sound awful, but I, I'm going to be uh, try to be direct about this. E- even though it was a real scarring, obviously horrible event in your life, at, at some level, were you using it as a, an excuse to continue to get high? Well, I was abused. Why shouldn't I get high? Um, no, no. I um. Well, at first, I used to say that. I used to say, "Oh, if you went through what I went through, you would do the same thing." But now I realize that, you know, and I've realized for a while, even if that didn't happen to me, I'd still be an addict no matter what. Even if I didn't go through that abuse, I'd still have this. So, oh, so whether had, I went through that or not, it wouldn't make a difference. Yeah, well, That's a pretty deep insight for a 22-year-old. Uh, so you recognize that in spite of what happened to you and you're an innocent victim of this horrible behavior, you don't blame it for the condition you find yourself in. You you believe that you have this disease. 110%, yeah. Yeah. It's interesting because a lot of people wouldn't wouldn't buy that. They would go, no, now she's going the, you know, she's going the other way. Does, does, does acknowledging that the sexual abuse alone was not the reason you abuse substances help you maintain sobriety? And by that I mean you eliminate it as a cause and then go, I still have the problem. Does that help you to think that way? Um, yeah, I think it does. And, you know, don't, and I mean, it doesn't help, you know, the fact that that happens. But like I said, it's definitely, you know, not their fault that I have this. I would have had it either way, like I said. Uh, uh, Lauren Ackerman is, is our guest. Uh, in the, the 22 short years she's been around, uh, I dare say Lauren has seen more than her share of trouble. She is currently in a uh, successful uh, sober situation after multiple trips in and out of treatment facilities in order to get ahead of what she clearly says is something she would have had one way or another. Welcome back to Recovery Radio. I'm Steve Martirano. We'll return to our guest Lauren Ackerman and her uh, story of uh, battling this uh, disease straight ahead. But I want to remind you, what our mission statement here is on Recovery Radio. As you know, Recovery Radio is sponsored by Retreat Premier Addiction Treatment Centers, a world-class organization. I was in Florida recently looking at their latest facility in West Palm Beach. It's it's an absolutely stunning facility down there, clearly state-of-the-art, not only in Florida but probably in the country. But Retreat, and you can trust me on this one, sponsors this program in an informational sense. And, uh, yeah, they pay the bills. But they're not here to tell you they're the only place in the world you can get sober. They're great. They've helped lots of people. When I give you the phone number for a retreat, it's purely for informational purposes. They want you 
armed with all the information you need should this disease visit your family. So I give you the number in that spirit. Feel free to call it. Any questions about the disease of addiction and treatment, they will answer for you. Retreat Premier Addiction Treatment Centers, 1-800-557-0566. That's 1-800-557-0566. Lauren Ackerman is 22 years old, and in that short period of time, she has seen her share of some, uh, some heartbreaks, sexual abuse by family members leading to substance abuse and in and out of rehab, over 20 times, as a matter of fact. Um, that's not to say that the treatment wasn't working, but that Lauren wasn't by her own admission. Lauren, how many times during that period when you were in and out of rehab did, were you, did you run away or, or were thrown out of treatment centers? Um, I don't know. It's been so many, but a, a really good amount. Definitely a good amount. So when you, when you would go in there um, with, with, with a, a lack of seriousness or dedication – and you say you, you just went in there because you felt comfortable there. Did, did it ever, mm. I know you were young and all that, but did it occur to you that it must have at some point, that that wasn't the right frame of mind? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So what changed? At what, at what, when did you begin going, this is a cycle that I must end? When, when did that happen? Um, oh, I mean, I was just, I don't know. I was I was seeing these like I I just like I don't I don't even know how to say it. Um Were there people in the facility that noticed you Yeah, your, there were yeah, I'm I'm sorry. I'm just trying not to name the facility. No, um, no I mean that's okay to do people, that. But I, yeah, but I mean so tell us about the people you were coming in contact with. Yeah, that just staff would tell me how comfortable I was and how, you know, and how close I was getting to people and how it just, how I was too comfortable and how it wasn't right and how I shouldn't be so comfortable there. And, uh, you know, I would blow it off, whatever. But after a certain point, I would realize that, I mean, I'd be in rehab and I'd be thinking to myself, First getting in there, I'd be worried about when I'm going to get out, and then I'd be thinking, how can I get in? Like, you know, I've already been to this many. Is my insurance going to cover another one? I, I'd already be worried about getting into another one. Mm. Well, you know, my mentality was like crazy. But but but, and, but um, your, your comfort in these facilities was apparent to the to, to the staff that was dealing with you, and, and 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 they and they were reminding you that this is not the the this is not where you should want to wind up. You should want to wind up in the real world sober, right? Right. Yeah. What What was going on with your mom during all this? Were you Were you honest with her? Was Was Where was she at in all this? Uh yeah, yeah. I was honest with my mom. Um, you know, if I ever you know lied to my mom or anything, I was always honest with her. Like shortly after, you know, my mom. Uh, it's definitely been you know it's been crazy for my mom. She um, it you know it just it really broke her. You know, she's got, like, PTSD from, you know, me doing all this to her. Does your, uh, yeah, and you're not kidding. She, I'm sure she does have post-traumatic stress. Did, what, did, did mm. mom get counseling during all this? Do you know? Um, she went to see someone for a little bit. Um, you know, she would be, like, get, uh, going around Kensington looking for me around 3, 4 in the morning, and 
you know, she'd put herself in these, you know, bad neighborhoods looking for me and, you know, just not a good situation. And she'd, you know, she's risking her life to come find me and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. just terrible things. What, really. what was, uh, so you know that, you love your mom. You, you know she's the only person yeah. probably on earth who cares whether you're living or dead. You know she's out oh, there yeah. prowling around the worst neighborhoods in, in, this, in the city looking for you. How did you feel about that? When I was using, I didn't care about anything, whether to get my next fix. But, you know, when I'm clear-headed, it makes me feel, I just feel disgusting about it. I feel really I don't know. It makes me feel terrible. You know, she's uh, she's done everything. I'm sorry. No, it's okay. It's okay. So, she's uh, yeah, I, I understand. I understand. She's yeah, she's done everything in the world for me, and uh, been through my my side with everything, you know, and I'm just to put her through all this. Well, she should be. Um you should be proud of you now, and she should be a real strong motivator for you. I mean, if you, it's, yeah. one, it's one thing to want to put yourself or, or be willing to put yourself through this, quite another to put your 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 mom through that. So, so you you know it, you start to gain traction. I mean, you know, I, when people say to me, "Wow, come on, Steve, uh, these uh, treatment things they don't work. These people are in and out of treatment, in and out of treatment." I always say to them, "Yeah, that's true. It is absolutely true." But they keep getting up, and right. And try. It's like stumbling in a race. If you fall down when yes. you're trying to win a race, you don't just lay there. You get up and try to finish the race. When did that start to dawn on you that you know you got to stop coming in and out of here and get you know get your act together? Do you remember when that happened? Um, I don't remember specifically, but I just remember me saying to myself, "I've just got to." You know, and this isn't for most people. Most people say, you know, I have to go to rehab to get better. But I told myself I have to stay out of rehab because it's my comfort zone. And uh, I have to do something to, you know, get on my feet. And I have to, you know, just do what I have to do to be clean. And, you know, um, that's what I did. I just took certain steps for me. Were there older older, people? people around you who were in, who, who'd been there and done that who helped you during that process oh uh, yeah i mean i have a lot of supports i've been in and out of aa since i've been 15 so i have i have a ton of people i have plenty plenty of support we, and were you using it i mean when when you would you know be stressed and and want to get high were you calling did you have sponsors did you call them um what do you mean this time around? No, I mean in general. During during you know. In general, period. no, I wouldn't. No, and that's what you know. I wouldn't. A lot of the time when I'd need help, I wouldn't reach out for help. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So now you are in the very early stages. Let's be perfectly honest about this of sobriety. Yeah. What did you say it was going on six months? Uh, yeah, now I have like around four months. Yeah. Oh, about four months. So, so tell me about that. I mean, it seems like given your history, a, a, a very short period of time, how do you feel sober? Um, it's scary, but I mean, it's different. Um, what scares, what scares what you I about w- it? What scares you about it? 
Um, what scares me about it is, I don't know, having feelings, I guess, you know, I just don't want to, you know, I just really, I, I get scared to have any kind of emotion and feeling. Be, be, you know, that's a great, I mean, again, for someone so young, you really, you really sound to me anyway, and I'm not an expert, sound like you're getting close to this, this issue here. You, you were not afraid of, of having bad feelings. You were, you were, you were afraid of having any kind of emotional reaction, correct? Yeah, definitely. And it occurs to you, I guess, during all of this, that one of the ways you blocked the emotions was through substance abuse. You didn't have to feel anything but high. Yeah, definitely, exactly. Yeah. Did you uh, did you ever overdose? Uh, yes, once I have, and it was uh, it was it was terrifying. It was the craziest thing. How, how did it happen? Tell us about it. Um, it was December fifth, two thousand fifteen. Um, I was with this kid Randy and this girl Kate and another girl Marilyn, and they tossed my body out of the car. Um, As you were overdosing, yeah, I I was out of it. I didn't even know. I I woke up in the ambulance. What happened was we uh, ended up getting these bags, and everyone was yelling to me, you know, don't do too much because I had just gotten out of a treatment center actually. And I, when I would get out, I'd usually shoot a full bag, and everyone was saying, don't do the whole thing, don't do the whole thing. So I went to go do half, and even half did this, but. I um, did it, and my heart, like, I, I had this rush. I couldn't even explain. It was crazy. And uh, the girl looked at me and said, are you okay? And I said, I don't know. I think so, but I'm not sure. And then next thing I know, I uh, I don't know if my eyes were closed or if my vision was blacked out, but, like, I heard myself gasping for air, and I felt myself shaking. And then I woke up again in an ambulance, and... Uh, I was screaming at this guy who just saved my life, this EMT guy. And I said, you know, give me my stuff back. The very first thing I did when I woke up from that OD was check my pockets. After that shit just almost killed me, you know? Well, you know, a lot of people don't and, appreciate uh, that, how the first thing someone who uh, coming out of an overdose like that feels is resentment and anger, right? It's insane. <laughs> and um, he said, I don't have your drugs. I said, Where, where's my stuff? He said, uh, the, your friends who threw you out of the car probably have it. And I looked at him, and I said, what? And he told me that they threw my body out of the car. And um, it was in Philly, mm -hmm. uh, near this cancer center. So they didn't have any Narcan. It was the cancer center. They just literally threw my body out on the parking lot. These two women found me. Thank God they were outside. And it's crazy, too, because these two women that saw my body on the ground, they used to work with my mom. I don't know. It was just weird, you know? Wow. And they knew who I was, and they called an ambulance, and just thank God they got there on time mm. and everything, you know? And I swore up and down I'd never use again after that because I was a few minutes away from dying. I swore. I said, there's no way I would ever use again after something like this just happened. And then a few days later, I was back at it. Hi again. We're back on Recovery Radio. I hope you're finding the show on Saturdays informative. Uh, we're here. We're talking about this disease. Uh, it's big. Uh, it's getting bigger, believe it or not. It's a, a terrible reality of what's been happening in our society for the past 10, 15 years now. This is, by most estimates, the worst epidemic of substance abuse the country has ever faced. 
And uh, we have no more graphic example than our guest who has been with us on the telephone today, young Laura, uh, Lauren Ackerman at 22. Uh, She's had a pretty rough go of it. And and now, after multiple trips in and out of rehab, is on those first tentative steps towards sobriety. So, uh, Lauren, you're uh, 22 years old. You've been been going pretty hard with this stuff uh, beginning at 14, um, marijuana and and whatever, and and very rapidly getting to heroin. And so you had a a serious heroin habit from 18 to 21 years old, right? Yeah. And tell me about uh, today, right now. I mean, I keep saying you you should have a long and... and, uh, uh, you're lucky uh, a happy future at you know 22 years of age what what are you what's your wish going forward um i just want to be able to maintain sobriety and um i don't know i mean i want to be able to you know just not fear you know feeling stuff and help people like me and mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What what are you doing uh, with regard to making sure you don't relapse? I mean, what support systems do you have? Um, I I go to meetings, and I'm also uh, I do the Suboxone maintenance program, uh-huh. which you know is a big you know people uh, to think people disagree with a lot, but it's saving my life. So, well, more and more people are realizing that, that there's a real role to be played um, with uh, medically-assisted treatment, and so we're, we're glad. It helps, so it helps you with the urges, right? Yeah, absolutely. It helps my cravings, you know. I mean, if it wasn't for this, I'd be, I'd be under a bridge in Kensington, you know. You believe that for sure? If it weren't for Suboxone, you, 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 wouldn't, absolutely. Be able, you wouldn't be able to fight that urge? Absolutely. Yeah, it's very hard for I've people. I've tried it without it, you know? and, you know. It's very hard for people who don't understand what this... Uh, what these drugs can do to your brain and just rewire it and, and make it the only the only thing you care about. Um, what about the, 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 the just everyday activities of, of being a sober person? Are, are, are you getting good better at that? I mean, you know, do you, do you have a job? Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm going to be going to school now. I did have a job, um, but I just uh, quit from there. But I, um, you know getting in the routine of work and you know now I'm going to go back you know I'm going to go to school just getting in these routines and you know getting used to being outside in the real world you know I don't know it feels good and uh what's your living you know, situation starting to get used to things yeah what's your living situation are you are you home with mom uh, or you me and home? mom at home and and how does does, does mom mom must keep a very sharp eye on you right yeah, she does. Yep. I mean, do we? Do you guys have conversations a lot? Does she ask you what's going on, Lauren? Are you okay? Does that go on? Oh yeah. Is it helpful? Absolutely. Is it helpful, or is it more like, okay, mom, give me some room? Do you know what? What's the? Uh, dynamic? I mean, you know, sometimes I'll say, you know, give me some room. I'm getting annoyed, but then I have to remember look what I did to her. You know, I put her through these crazy situations. I, I can't expect her to not, you know, go crazy. So you you certainly have the uh, awareness that if anybody has a right to be 
scared and suspicious about what might happen. It's your mom. Yeah, absolutely. Does your mom go to a support group for family members who who have substance? Oh uh, yeah, she she has tried Al-Anon and Noranon. She said it makes her more upset. So I don't know, but you know, there's people that reach out to her and try to make her go more. But I think it just makes her think about it more. So yeah, what what's your what's you know, your, she doesn't want to. Well, she might not be want to dwell on it. What's your social life like? Do you have a social life, or is that too soon to be thinking about that? Uh, no, yeah, I do. I mean, I keep you know a couple close friends and you know people that are doing good. I mean, my social life's a lot better. You know, my hang out is you know. I mean, when I'm using, I really don't have a social life. I'm on the streets by myself using. So mm-hmm. when people, when you meet, when you meet new people, is it necessary for you to tell them you're you're your situation or or do you just sort of keep it to yourself um, only if using comes up mm-hmm. you mean you mean just in the in the course of conversation yeah like if someone wants to you know like because you know even you know kids that aren't addicts my age you want to drink smoke this you know with, I, I say i can't you know and i'll tell them why and uh, have you had the occasion of running into someone who's who you know is using and try to talk them out of that and let them know what what's in store for them? Or, or I have, I have. Um, now this time I've done good with that. In the past I haven't, but you know I want it so bad now that you know I'll tell people that you know I'm trying to better myself and you know I won't be mean and I'm not going to like tell them you know. But I'll tell them, you know, I'm trying to do good, and I just can't you know, be near any of that. Yeah, well, the, I guess the best way I used to, to have a hard time with that. I used to have a hard time of letting go of friends that were still doing that. But now I realize it's just for the best, you know, and I can't worry about their feelings, so I have to worry about my life. Absolutely. Hey, Lauren, uh, we want to have you back on the program on your year anniversary. Uh, promise us you'll, you'll be here for that. All right. I hope to God. Lauren Ackerman, thanks so much. Uh, and uh, uh, good for you, good for your mom, and, and good luck. Yeah, thank you very much, Steve. Okay, Lauren. She'll be back I, in a year, a year of sobriety. Mm-hmm. Hey, that's uh, that's Recovery Radio for this week. Um, thanks for joining us. Have a great weekend. Bye-bye. This program is a paid commercial announcement and in no way represents the views of WPHT or its management.